Welcome to the Gamers Over 50 podcast. This is episode 66. How are games made? Game engines or the engines of imagination? That's so cheesy. I'm sorry. So prior to the creation of uh, a game engine, and we'll talk about exactly what a game engine is, but I want to kind of give a heads up, is every part of it, you know, prior to that was being, being made, every part of a video game for a console or a PC was done by a development team. So if you wanted to print something out, the printer interface was there. Um, how many colors, what kind of keyboard, if you could use not a U.S. keyboard, but maybe an Australian keyboard, you know, things like that. How hardware connected to it. So, you know, all of that was done by developers and there, you know, maybe there was a little bit of shareware code in it and things like that. But, you know, in 1980, a game did not exactly look like a game built in 1978. And part of that, and, you know, we could say 2020 to 2022, same thing. But part of that, it's a lot of that is, in effect, due to technology improvements, programming language improvements, and, you know, artistic improvements, you know, thinking about the technology as it affects art, but also as artists learn new techniques, right? That That's coming out, or artists find... Um, I'm not saying they're going to find new colors because there's about a million colors for the, the, the eggshell color. There's not. There's probably like a hundred. But you know, the first two of those within you know technology improvements and programming language improvements, you're kind of dealing in a scientific realm. You know, because faster computers and more efficient you know programming. But the third covers a wide array of very cool upgrades in games. Um, it could be new characters and that could be like the face, the body, the tools, the weapons, the vehicles, etc. New terrain, new sounds. And I say new sounds, not like that it's a new sound created, but something new in a game. Maybe it's something you have never heard in a game or something that's never been used in a game. Uh, a new movement method, say a certain type of walk, a certain type of run, a jump up, jump down, you know, kind of crazy stuff. And, you know, new architecture. So when we're thinking of the game and like a building and things to that effect. So, we're, you know, you're getting into those depth areas that, that, yeah, they could exist already. They could be a part of a game already. But, you know, the, a lot of that stuff previous to game engines had to be created. So, you know, a game engine can hold that basic template or concepts for a game to be built upon. And, you know, much like someone who's building a house, you know, the, the foundation is kind of there and then you can purchase, I mean, they now sell almost entire, you know, sections of walls and that, you know, the innovation in building a house, say from 1978 to now has totally changed. So why wouldn't it change with technology, you know, coming into it? So, you know, that it's going to be something, and I think I'll say this with game engines, it is going to be something very different and also very fantastic and amazing. So let's really jump into what a game engine is first, and then we'll have a few examples of game engines. Um, and we'll include some games that have been developed for some of those engines. So again, Wikipedia, go out there, donate, please, please, please. If you use it, donate it. Uh, great information, but there, and I'm doing air quotes, I, I really need like a, a noise. See, there's that sound again. I need a noise sir, when I'm doing air quotes. I could change my voice, but that's probably going to sound weird. But it, Wikipedia says a game engine is a software framework 
primarily designed for the development of video games and generally includes relevant libraries and support programs. Now, I like to sometimes think about a car and the inner workings of a car, right? The things you don't see, that you don't use the steering wheel or, you know, the radio and things like that, or the, you know, the tires even, is everything internally is kind of the inner workings of that car. So you have those support items, you know, the engine, obviously, transmission, the brakes, heating and cooling, you know, and electronics that runs all of this now, the programming. So you have that engine that's all under there that move the car and everyone's outside of their car looks different. But inside, we're getting to the point where most cars are very similar. You know, one may have a better or more useful transmission, more torque or something. One One could have a manifold and an engine still, but it's getting close to being a lot of the similar components. Um, and you know, if you lift the hood and you look at it, you you won't see that when you're driving. So, you know, and unless you have those crazy cars that like, that's totally sitting out in front that my cousin Michi, who knows all these people who builds those and it's super cool. But you know, you, you, you think of it like the inner workings of a car or what makes a car run or, you know, what makes your computer run or what makes, you know, everything go on so that when you click on a button to say, I'm going to record a podcast, ta-da. But a game engine will translate to software development very much like a framework. So we had talked about in the programming item very much how it had gone into there were ways to program now where you had libraries and APIs and things like that. And so that's where the game engine gets to the point of using some of that, also building all of its its stuff as well. Now, another really good quote from Wikipedia about game engines is the core functionality typically provided by a game engine may include a rendering engine or renderer for 2D or 3D graphics, a physics engine or collision detection and collision response, which is funny because if you run into something, there should be a response, right? Like your character falls down or something. Anywho, sound, the ability to do scripting. So that's doing multiple things in like a package like you write, okay, if this happens, these things happen. Animation, artificial intelligence, networking, streaming, memory management, threading, localization support, scene graph, and video support for cinematics. Now, that was a mouthful. In fact, I may let me get a quick drink to here. But that was a lot of stuff. But let's walk a little bit into each one. Some of them are going to be very easy to understand. Some of them get a little, get kind of cool and you can get, you know, a little more detail into it. But graphics, if you're going to be in a 2D or 3D game, easy, right? I mean, that's pretty simple. You could maybe create a 2D graphic for game engine for the phone. And we'll talk about one that's, you know, for that as well. But it really gets into how the game prioritizes graphics hardware with the software to deliver a very fluid and useful visual environment. Right. Physics or collision detection response. I, lo- I actually read a lot about this because I was just got so interesting. But if you ever think about when you jump in a game, you know, sometimes the games will just jump up and down, especially 2D games, right? But in a 3D game, when you jump, maybe you're jumping forward. Have you jumped backwards? Are you jumping, say, over something? Are you jumping onto something? Are you jumping off of something? 
all of that and the physics of what your character does, most games that are very fantasy or I don't want to say cartoony because that's bad, but sci-fi and fantasy, maybe not built into our physical realm of, say, Earth. Those, they can do all sorts of crazy stuff. You can have super jumps. Or if you're dealing like with superheroes and things like that or robots and stuff. But when you're playing in a game, and I'm thinking like Call of Duty, where someone's going to run and they're going to jump, you know, not everybody is going to jump, say, like an Olympic athlete. Some people are going to jump and they're going to fall down. Or you're going to jump over something, but you didn't jump the right way and you hit it. And maybe you fall down or you fall over it or you fall back. So that physics side is so cool to think about. So the next time you're playing one of those games and you do that, and maybe you don't make the jump just right, think about that physics and collision detection. Okay, sound. I could do an entire podcast, podcasts, and a series of podcasts on sounds in games. And this goes from like when you pop the trouble button. And yes, if you play trouble on your phone or your computer, the pop they've made it sound like when it's on your table. And I put the one on the table to one next to the computer. It kind of blew my mind a little bit. Now, of course, that's somebody who recorded that sound, right? But what if they recorded the sound and then they clean it up so you don't get all the, you know, maybe it it never gets old, right? But it also can be, you know, the composer who's developing your background sound effects. It could be your composer who's developing music that goes along with it. It could be the opening credits or cinematics in a scene And you want to make sure that you have the best ability to use the hardware that's built with the software that's allowing you to push that sound out. And if you're building your own game, I mean, you could spend decades working on the sound to get it just right, right? Because it's, I mean, there are people who have such great tone or tonality, I think is the word, that they can hear it. And so sound gets into it. All right. Scripting. Now. I had this great (laughs) description of scripting and then I was like, oh, wow, I'm a gigantic technical nerd when I got into this. But thinking from, and I'm going to steal Wikipedia's item, so please still don't, but they talk about a scripting language is a programming language for execution when the game is running. So maybe there is, if I open this door, here are the things that can happen, including, say, a random number generator, or for anyone who's ever played a game, RNG. If you ever hear RNG, it's a random number generator. And you're like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe that. Ta-da, crazy. All right, so scripting, it has a scripting language, like say JavaScript we talked about in the programming language. There are scripting languages sometimes based off JavaScript in those worlds. So, okay, that's scripting. Animation. Now, what's the difference between cute and computer animation and graphics? Well, animation is how the process of using digitally generated animated images. So a graphic may be just delivering from a hardware or software side, but inside of a animation, is it's how that graphic is moving, the three-dimensional picture. The two-dimensional graphic is it, how is it rendering? How is it moving through it? So animation is so much, and it, you know, this is such a cool topic and such a beautiful topic because, I, you know, I love my, my art and games, but it gets really technical and the, the game engine allows to provide that canvas to bring that art 
into the game and into our lives, into our joys. You know, and I, you think of someone like, say, Master Chief, right? Someone's built that image and built the animation for that and how that animation works. Okay, AI, artificial intelligence. And no, we are not talking about Skynet, but we are talking about how you interact with a non-player character, NPC. And that's if you have ever had to go and ask a wizard something in a game, or if you have to buy something from a tavern or from a weapons merchant or something. The AI is built on responses to where, oh, you don't have enough money. And then it comes back with a joke. And maybe it doesn't say the same joke every time because it has a set of items that it can go out and randomly grab. So you have the, you know, that AI perspective of it all. Okay, not going too deep into the AI because we could go there for years. And then Arnold Schwarzenegger, who's always invited, of course, would get involved. Um, I bet you he knows stuff about AI. All right, networking. So this is how the game connects to internet, wireless, other game networks, um, other players, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we could go right down there. And it's also built to create efficiencies in those games. So it makes a game more efficient, able to do things. Streaming. So now that streaming is really a huge thing, and it's been a huge thing for a long time, you know, people have taken videos of their games. And, you know, I remember people taking videos of them finishing Mario. And, you know, that would be uploaded to a bulletin board. And you're like, oh, let's go watch what the end of Mario looks like because no one was ever going to beat it in my fraternity house or home. So, but you have the streaming ability to plug into things like Twitch and Stream and YouTube or to share it on, say, the Sony PlayStation Network, Sony's PlayStation Network, Microsoft's Xbox Network, you know, that you can save it out there. All right. Memory management. Now, I don't want to get too deep in here because this is the ability for you to have use that memory and release that memory so that you can use it again. So let's say you have 16 gigabytes of memory and a game is using four. It is constantly rotating as you move through that game and releasing that memory. Because think of it like this. If you had a sink, and let's say you're cleaning out your refrigerator and you put everything in the sink, but you don't turn the garbage disposal on. You don't clear it for the next thing. And then you start filling it up with water. It's super gross. Well, in super, in super gross, it's not efficient. Air quotes again. Man, I really need a noise for that air quotes thing. But memory management allows you to use the computer hardware and the memory, the CPU, et cetera, and allows you to send instructions back and forth as well as to the graphic hardware as well. And the graphic memory is in there and it, you know, allows it to say, I'm going to use this now. And then, Oh, I've got a new function coming up because I'm moving in a new space. All right. Memory management. These are all really high level too. Um, so I apologize if it's, if it's too high level or if it's too like, okay, measure, you know, all that stuff. Well, I'm sorry. But this is kind of cool because these are all the components of game engines. All right. Threading. All right. Your dad joke. Put that needle away. Ha ha. Bad joke. Not that kind. So we talk about threading and you've probably heard it in, in the general term of how things are used. Multitasking came out or multi-threading. Now I am a, uh, a proponent of the fact that it is impossible for humans to multitask. Now, that doesn't mean you can't breathe and sleep and your heart beats and things like that. I'm saying you can't 
drive and do your be on your cell phone efficiently. Now, how many people do it? And then we have wrecks and we have accidents and bad stuff and they get lost and they drive slow and they drive you crazy. Boom. But think of threading as the perspective of how each task is happening. So the grabbing the arrow, the loading into the bow, the pulling it out, all that has a thread that goes along with it, even including the miss. Or have you ever played a game where like you load the bow and then you accidentally let go of it and then everything just goes back and the arrow falls on the ground and you're like, oh, you got to you know pick the arrow up and go again. So the threading is developed into a game engine to use the hardware of the computer and to make sure there's an efficient use of it. So it's not really making all that happen. A lot of that's happening on the operating system, either like Linux or Windows or Mac OS. All of that's happening there. But they build threading into the game engines so that they can run efficiently with the hardware and the software development. All right. One of my favorites is localization support. Now, localization is built in for sometimes text, spoken words. It could be, a, you know, you have English for the, you know, as a primary for the game. You could have French, Chinese, Mandarin. You know, this is for a tweak into specific situations so that, you know, you have different maybe cultural icons in a game. Every wall in the game, if you're playing one of those games, or every wall in the game looks exactly the same. But maybe this game, you're in Cairo, and then you're in New York. And then you're in LA. Why do the hallways all look the same? But in Cairo, oh, we went into the pyramid to go get something. Hieroglyphics. We're in New York in a subway. Oh, cool. We have graffiti. We're in LA on sunset. Oh, there you go. You have all the buildings that are sunset. So that localization support would move around with that. So think about it like that, that you're moving to those locations, but you're also getting the cultural side, you know, the language side, the text side, things like that. Remember my friend Kate Edwards, who joined us, she is considered my localization and movie score expert. Uh, but she gets that's something that you could get involved in and game engines do. Okay. Scene graph. I swear we're almost done. This we got two more to go. So scene graphs are useful for modern games. So like games we're playing today, new games, and they're using 3D graphics in huge worlds on levels. And you're going to be using a scene graph because it'll represent the objects that are in the scene so that it can like, you can say, Oh, the stones here and the, the walls here and the castles here. And I'm here. Okay. Video support for cinematics. So this is, you ever watch and yeah, I start with a cinematic in the game or they end with a cinematic in the game. Like, you know, the, the, the win, um, I was thinking about the, uh, the latest Zelda. Well, this, the last before the last, I guess that's a second to the last Zelda. Now there's like a lot of cut screens where they go to cinematics and they're really cool. But the ability to say, okay, we're going to be playing it and it's going to play on my console, on my PC, on my phone, you need to have that support built in. So let's talk about, after we've got all that, that's like high dose of technical, boom. Let's talk about a few game engines. And, you know, thousands upon thousands of games have been created on these game engines I'm about to talk. The three we're going to talk about are Unity the Unreal Game Engine, and Game Maker. Now, I bet you've heard two of the three. If you've heard all three, kudos to you. Get your gold star today. If you haven't, you're kind of in a treat because there's some really cool stuff. So let's jump in. So Unity is a now a cross-platform game engine created by Unity Technologies, and it was released in 2005, June 2005, at 
Apple's Worldwide Developer Con Conference. It's built, you know, popular, very popular. It was built for the iOS, very popular for Android games, um, things like Pokemon Go, Cuphead, you know, um, Call of Duty on the phone and tablet. And it can create 3D, 2D games. And it's, you know, it's been adopted outside into film, uh, armed forces, U.S. armed forces, engineering, construction, ar architecture. Now, I like to think back to 2005, and here are some of the top words from 2005 out there at the, t the time. I was just looking at it, you know, integrity, refugee, contempt, filibuster, insepid, tsunami, pandemic, conclave, levy, and inept. Now, remember 2005, Hurricane Katrina, and that was the biggest story. Now, what's also interesting is the cool words at the time for the, that we heard for the first time were crunk, sup, like sup, yeah. I, or as I like to say it, I it. I stole that from Seth Green, who is always available to come. So I'd love that guy to be here. And Izzle. So thank you to Snoop Dogg. And yes, yes, yes. Snoop Dogg probably knows he's, he probably has like such power. He knows he's invited to the podcast, Izzle. All right. Bad dad joke number two. Ouch. That one hurt too. But let's really think back to what Apple was doing in 2005. In 2005, they were in the middle of the development of the iPhone. And they were developing the hardware and operating system. And they needed stuff to create games and apps on it. They need an environment or an engine. And Unity became that engine. And it became out, you know, really successful. So, you know, Unity wanted to make it so that anyone could develop on any platform, right? So that, you know, everybody says that kind of stuff when they're developing. But, you know, they wanted to democratize the game development world and make it very accessible to developers, which is wonderful. I love it. But just saying, take the democratize or democratize, democratize. Oh, my gosh. Well, there you go. We learned how to say a new word today. I actually knew how to say that one. That's sad. But, you know, what's funny is this also won. The funny part about it, it was developed for Apple, you know, Apple devices. It developed the Max OS graphics category of best use. It won a design award. And I kind of got a chuckle because it was developed for Max. And then it, oh, and then it was used like the developer Max and, you know, or sorry, Apple devices. And then you win all the Apple awards. Great. Anywho, but when Apple started launching its, you know, iOS, it was ready to load. And then they eventually added in the browser support for things like Windows and web browsers. So it was moved over there. Now, I'm going to jump a little bit ahead. And in 2020, Unity introduced Mars, not the planet, but Mixed and Augmented Reality Studio, which helps provide developers with additional functionality for rules-based generation of augmented reality applications. So Pokemon Go. So they released this so they could help people develop those. And then they also acquired this great, the, one of the coolest names of a group I've ever heard, the Finger Food Advanced Technology Group, which was created to cr build more for its non-video game uses. Now, I'm going to have half contradict myself in a second. Oh, I'm sorry. And then in 2021, December of 2021, this is just months ago, they bought Peter Jackson's Weta Digital Tools. Now, if you've never seen this 
I'll talk in just a second about it. But I'm going to contradict myself here because the subject of CGI is somewhere I am all over the place on. Weta is one of those amazing tools that is out there. It is incredible. It is so cool. It is so neat. And it has built some amazing movies. And of course, anything that Peter Jackson creates, I try to watch because I think it's awesome. My favorite shorter production was for Air New Zealand. Check it out. But I'm, you know, I got to say, I'm a bigger fan of less CGI. And I'm a bigger, and again, nothing against Peter Jackson, nothing against Weta, nothing against CGI. It's just if you watch something like a Christopher Nolan film, and of course this is opinion and, you know, I will probably be a hypocrite across the board, but you watch someone like Christopher Nolan who tries not to use it and do as much as possibly creates amazing movies, but so does Peter Jackson. So does Denis Villeneuve. And, you know, if you'd have watched Dune that just came out and of course, Michael Bay creates pretty cool movies. They get cheesy as the franchise goes longer. Transformers, excuse me. Oh, I had a little cough there. But game engines have made gameplay as close to reality that they're being pulled into that industry. And Unity helped make that occur and is going to make that occur on a larger scale. It's great. I think it's wonderful. It gives the ability for users and, and game developers to be in 2D and 3D and allows for so many plugins using C Sharp, uh, using this, a tool called Mono. Um, and it's really the, the prime, you know, C-sharp, we talked programming language is the primary language that's built to it. Um, the last, you know, that podcast on programming was just kind of a crazy listen. And when I listened to it, I was like, wow, that podcast really needs a game engine podcast because you'll see that bridging into the game engines and how C-sharp and things can get involved. Um, but those engines need to be programmed with, you know, things like C-sharp, JavaScript, et cetera. All right. So it is supported on every single platform out there, including BlackBerry and Windows Phone. And I'm making that joke because it's like they're all over the place. It is one of the largest game engines. The vision of Apple in 2004 has helped increase the game industry. It is just amazing. But we have another game engine to talk about, and it's 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 unreal. Okay, dad joke number three. I think I got like six in me. I'm sorry, everybody. But Unreal Engine is a game engine developed by Epic Games in 1998. So again, notice we're 2004. We're going backwards a little bit. This time we're going back in time. Q and Huey Lewis. But the Unreal FPS was a huge step up for people who are playing first-person shooters from like Castle Wolfenstein and Doom and Quake. And it was a big step up because the concept in the original Unreal shooter game was you were, you know, you land on this planet and you have to kind of escape. And there's a, there's a group of aliens that are subjugating another group of aliens and you're get learning all these other pieces. It's not just like I have to escape the building and try to shoot everything I possibly can and get bigger guns. And it was initially developed just for, you know, PC first person shooters, but it has become, it, it, it eclipsed that because it's built into 3D environments. Uh, it's, you know, adopted into industries, again, notably film and television. Um, and where we had C Sharp and Unity, we're looking at C over here on Unreal. And there's a degree of portability, which allows you to go desktop, mobile, concept, and even VR, which is kind of cool. Now, 
Um, the latest working version that's out there, and we're going to talk, and I know that this will sound weird because we're going to talk about four, but then we'll talk about five, is Unreal Engine 4. And what's really cool about it is you can download it free. Um, it is on a private repository, so you have to get access to the private repository on GitHub. If you want to go out on GitHub and get that. Uh, if you don't know what GitHub is, go look it up. It's pretty cool. Say hi to the OctoKitty. Uh, but really, Epic allows its use into commercial products based on a royalty model. So if you develop a game, so if you know somebody who wants to go develop a game, and that's, that's kind of a secondary tertiary part of this, these podcasts, is for people who you may like to say, hey, I want to go develop a game, or your kids or your grandchildren are thinking about it. Um, anywho, Epic said it's going to waive the, the royalties portion for games until they make their first million dollars in revenue. And that's pretty awesome because Unreal 5 is coming out. Um, and, you know, it's really neat to think about the fact that, okay, new developers, we're going to give you an engine. And if you're, you work and you build a game and you make something cool, boom, you can definitely, you know, skip on the royalties for a little bit. Very, very, very cool. Now, what's also cool is programming in C++. So we talked about where were we in 1998 in the beginning of a lot of what we played was created. So, you know, 1998, all the Unreal Engine got involved in that. Now, I'm a huge fan of the Unreal Engine because it became very developer-focused. And some of the coolest games came out of that indie game industry. And, you know, while I do love that George R. R. Martin is getting involved in games and other people, and, you know, I like the cool games developed by an independent group that said, hey, I have an idea. Let's create that idea. And you have something like Angry Birds or Minecraft or Wordle that started out very small and exploded onto the scene. So you have all these games. And let's talk a little bit about the history of Unreal. So, you know, Unreal first in, it was created and developed by Tim Sweeney, the founder of Epic Games. And he created all the tools and you, you know, created editing tools for games he, cre you know, he built before and had them on a, what the, we would call a shareware. Uh, that is something where, and if I probably maybe didn't bring this up, but shareware is when, let's say, I have a piece of something or maybe I have a program and it works on other programs and I'm going to share it and you can, sh I'll share it with you and I'm going to publish it and call it shareware. So it's free and you can use it, but you got to let everybody know I did that. Of course, there you go. Now what's really crazy about this is Sweeney wrote 90% of the code in the engine, including the graphics, the tools and the networking. That's kind of amazing, right? So, Think of the game engine as all the stuff kind of in the middle, like the, you know, that's, that's running everything, all those extra functions and features. And he wrote it. And what's really kind of cool is the very first, it used software rendering, which all the graphics was happening software. And this is prior to us having these awesome graphics cards that we have today. Now it's moved more into the, uh, the, gra the graphics hardware, and it's using stuff like Glide API which is designed for 3D FX Accelerator. So when you look at your graphics card, it'll talk about the 3D FX Accelerator. And we talked about APIs in the programming. So it's using a program that's meant to function directly and very efficiently with your graphics cards. All right. Now, the most interesting part 
about this also. And I know there's lots of most interesting, but really cool part is that the hardest part for, for Tim, and he shared this in an interview, uh, was to create the renderer because the core algorithm had to be rewritten over and over again so that the, you know, the, it would connect to all the systems while I was doing this. And, you know, he talks about all the things he, you know, he's in this interview, he'd also talked about all the things that he had done at Epic. And he says that was part of his favorite part of doing it. So, um, the kind of crazy thing about it is we talked about collision detection and we've talked about graphics and, and they included things like colored lighting. So when you see the light that changes different colors coming in through the window, or maybe from another, let me, he's trying to beam you or something with a light or while you're in a game, um, or you have things like texture filtering. So it's changing the textures you move along. All of that was meant to be built into the engine. And it was meant to compete against things, which from ID software um, was things called like Doom and Quake. So if you've ever played Doom and Quake, it was Unreal was created to be better than that and to use 16-bit colors. Because remember, Doom and Quake were kind of blocky and, and stuff like that. All right. So by late, late 1999, there were 16, so it's, they released it in 98, 16 external projects using the original Unreal Engine. So, and they also go in and one of the things uh, Sweeney gave to Maximum PC in that year is the big goal for Unreal Technology was to build up a base of code that it could be extended and proven, improved, sorry, through many generations of games which it's done. Unreal has done this. And, you know, the Unreal uh, 2 engine added Karma physics into it. You started using third-party software to develop math, um, included like a ragdoll simulation. So if you've seen some of the, the games where it's more of like, you know, less kind of robotic-y running, more running as it should be. Um, engine 3 was delivered on the Xbox 360, and Windows, and then into the PlayStation networks, PlayStation 3 networks. And iOS got its first title in 2010, as well as the Android phone. So again, Unreal starts getting in a few years behind Unity at this point. Now, they also created the Unreal Development Kit. And what's cool about this is if you're playing games, you could add mods and like pictures. And at the time, like, you know, there's be, you could add goofy pictures, like, Okay, okay, I'm not going to say Mickey Mouse because I don't want to get sued by Disney. Let's say South Park. I mean, you could put like Randy's face on all the bad guys from South Park or Cartman or somebody like that. So the, the they created these mod developments. Or you can make everything pink. Or you can make the person who was a Barbie doll running and doing all this stuff. It was, those are some of the mods I saw, and they were kind of fun. All right. So Unreal 4 Engine came out, and it was released... And it actually was presented at GDC, which is going on right as we talk right now, the Game Development Conference. Um, and they released in 2014 Unreal 4. And so what we've been seeing a lot of is Unreal 4 and some of the things that are built upon Unreal 4 from them. Now, as we've moved forward, they've been working on Unreal 5. Unreal 5 was, you know, was revealed in 2020. And they were expecting a launch early 2022. We're in early 2022. I took a look at Unreal 5 Engine just from a preview and things like that. 
And I think this engine was built for Isaac Asimov or Jules Verne to deliver their visions on. I mean, it was amazing. The worlds we have never seen. And yes, I am having a little bit of a fanboy moment. I apologize, but it is beautiful. And then, you know, the game they were introducing it is called, or or, they're showing it. It's called introducing the matrix awakens an unreal five experience. Really cool. I mean, it looks like if you saw the latest unreal or not unreal, but a matrix movie, it kind of looks exactly like that movie when they show the game. All right. So again, we have, we talked about it. Unreal script was delivered or what they call use script. It was out there uh, very similar to Java and JavaScript. So cool stuff. And the other neat thing is I said, this unreal has been found in a lot of filmmaking lately. Again, everything's out there because you need to create virtual worlds that are built into this. All right. Last one. Game maker. The first two engines are Titans. They're used all over the place. They've been being used all over the place the last 20 years. The last one I'm going to talk about is Game Maker. And it was created decades prior. And it was probably in that group of the first game engines. And it's Gary Kitchen's Game Maker to be 100%. And it's an integrated development environment for the Commodore 64, the Apple II, and IBM PCs created by Gary Kitchen, uh, released by Activision in 1985. It's one of the earliest all-in-one game design products, and it was aimed at you and I, general consumer. Um, It came out before Arcade Machine. Um, It had a cool demo in there, like where they recreated the Atari game Pitfall. And I remember this because I got this, and I loved this. This was I, I used this on my Apple II. And then my friends who had the Commodore 64, who are cooler than me, they got like the sports and science fiction stuff. So it was built in and it included sprites. Now, a sprite is a drink you can have or it is a mythical character, but it's also considered the visual building block of all games, especially mobile games nowadays. So sprites Um, and it had the ability to do construction. They had a thing called Sprite Maker in this and so they had well they had let's go through it they had scene maker background graphics sprite maker moving objects music maker creating your own score which if i had a lot of musical talent maybe i would sound maker for sound effects and then the editor for actually programming how the game played Uh, what's really cool about this it, it was easy and it was an easy way to program like you would program in basic at the time which was great and you know you would enter the language into your keyboard and then game maker had kind of a menu based system that would work with it. Now it, it again, it had its own limitations, but I think those were more hardware limitations because the software was, was awesome. You know, the things you could do in the software was awesome. So um, I had the pinball construction set in game maker and I loved it. I actually love pinball and here's a shameless plug for the Seattle pinball museum. Go, it's awesome. You can like make sure you go to the bathroom for you. Well, you have nice bathroom. But if you're not like one of those public bathroom people, I'm a public bathroom person. I'm okay with it. But I know friends of mine that are like, oh, I have to spend an extra $10 so I can go to a nice bathroom or whatever. Anywho, <laughs> not that it's a bad bathroom. It's just a little bathroom. Uh, but it's really cool to go there. And you can have your birthday party there. I haven't had one there. Um, not that I'm not allowed, but it's just, you know, a little highbrow. 
but it is so cool in Game Maker to create a pinball game. And you could create, you know, a pinball game that's all bumpers. Or you could create a pinball game that had 20 flippers on each side. All that stuff could be built in. And you could do it in 15 minutes with different sounds. And you could play it and you could save it. Step away. All right. So game engines. Game engines, again, are a huge part of that game development process because, you know, there are a bunch of great big names out there and there are a lot of game engines. I only pick three because I could have been on talking to you for an hour and a half on this. Um, but they're, you know, they're going to be new game developed engines developed. There'll be new versions. And I love game engines because, you know, it's the platform that maybe if I use a game engine, it's not my entire budget for developing a game and I can get some great artists and get some great programmers and composers and hire a development team and our you know, scrum masters and project managers and folks like that um, into the game team so that I can get a really good game instead of having like two people working really hard and, and trying to get it to a certain space. So you can get some, like I said, beautiful artists because there are a ton of artists that love to put stuff into video games. And they like to see this stuff rendered in there. Um, so with that, with the game engines, the programming, I want to do the next podcast, and this will be the last one on the subject, on who develops games. And it may actually start at like the HR group and the game company all the way out there to the folks in operations that release game patches and updates. We're going to see. I'm going to try to make it so it's not over uh, an hour I'm, I'll try to make it so it's not over 40 minutes, but look forward to that. I'll be working on that and I may have a special guest or two joining me for that podcast.